0: So we've quit a lot of things already. Uh, We have quit comparing, we have quit complaining, and we have quit complacency, and today we're going to quit self-reliance. But before uh, we get started on what we're quitting today, um, you know, there's some things that we don't quit. You know, it's interesting to, when you celebrate Lent, uh, there's some things you set aside and sometimes there's other things that you take on. And some of those things that we take on, we try our best to take on for life. And today is a very special day. Because today, Mo and Carol Ward, I hear, are celebrating their 56th wedding anniversary. I appreciate that fist pump, Mo. Congratulations. So, historically, the season of Lent often uh, looks at the 40 days and the 40 nights of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And so I'd like for us to take a look at that temptation passage in Matthew's Gospel. And uh, I know it's a very familiar passage, but we'll take a look at it uh, briefly, and then we're going to focus in particularly on temptation number one. So, beginning in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. No doubt. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, this is interesting, isn't it? When it says that Jesus led, or excuse me, that the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. Now, when I heard that as a child, I grew up in the mountains. I knew what the woods were. I knew what it was like to go out in the wilderness. And when I went out in the wilderness, I thought of something that looked like this. Right? The wilderness. And then uh, I went to Israel, and I went out into the Judean wilderness... And I found out that it looked something more like this. (laughs) That's a pretty rough looking wilderness. You spend 40 days and 40 nights out there. We're not just talking about some kind of survivalist. right? We'll come back to that. And the second temptation. Then it says, uh, Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Hmm. That's nice. Right, and Jesus said to him, it is written, do not put your Lord to the test. Now again, when I was a child and I heard this, that Jesus was uh, being placed on top of the temple uh, the first thing that came to my mind was something that looked like this. Hmm. Right? little local church. Maybe Jesus is up there fixing the steeple. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. But then again, I went to Israel and I saw the temple, and it looked something more like this. It's a pretty far drop. From the edge of the temple, the, the, the southeastern corner of the temple, which is called the pinnacle, It was the highest point above the ground because it dropped down into the Kidron Valley. And so throwing yourself off here is not the chance of twisting your ankle or breaking your leg. Throwing yourself off here is for sure death. There's one last temptation, uh, again, in Matthew uh, 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you. If you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, "Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only." Then the devil left him, and suddenly the angels came and waited upon, and waited upon him. So as I said, we wanted to focus most of our time this morning on the first temptation. So just curious, um, how many of you have ever been tempted to turn a bunch of rocks into some loaves of bread? Right. Everyone in the youth group raised their hand. They all think they're comedians. <laughs> and Dave Howell did too. Right. Okay. So we've we've never actually been tempted to turn stones into bread. It's not a temptation that we regularly face. It's not a temptation that any of us have ever faced. Now we've all been hungry before, but we've never been ne- never been tempted to turn uh, stones into bread. Part of this is because. In order to be tempted, to be truly tempted, it has to be something within our reach, right? We're tempted to do something we have the capacity to do. We're never tempted to do something that's kind of beyond our very capacity because then it's not really a real temptation. It, never, it can never really be a temptation. And secondly, we're always tempted with something that, that we want, right? We're never tempted with something that we don't want, right? So if I said, in order to be a a member at Oasis, this is imagining that we had membership, but go with it, just an analogy, in order to be a member at Oasis, you had to eat fish. Uh, Some of you might think, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I can keep coming there anymore or not, I can't stand fish. Or if I flipped it and said, uh, in order to be a member at Oasis, you couldn't eat fish, right? And then some of you are like, oh, man, that's a big sacrifice. Because I would be tempted to eat it. Well, the only those of us that would be tempted to eat it are those who love fish, right? If if you don't want it, you can't be tempted for it. So as we look at this temptation, uh, the tempter, as he is called here, comes comes to Jesus and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. So there, there are several things that stand out. One is that the phrase, if you are the Son of God, uh, is difficult to translate. I mean, it sounds simple in English, but more is being said in the original language than what's being said in our translation. Part of what's being lost in the translation is that the tempter is not trying to be inquisitive to see whether or not Jesus actually is the Son of God. It's not, if you are, and I'm not sure you are, but if you are, let's see if you can do this, right? Let's see if you can do this trick. It's more like, uh, it's it's, since you are the Son of God. It's like for the sake of argument. Like, I believe you are, and if you are, and I think you are, then shouldn't you do this? Shouldn't you just turn these stones into loaves of bread? So that's that's probably a better translation. Uh, Since you're the Son of God, then why don't you turn these stones into loaves of bread? And so what would that temptation look like? And, and what would the actual sin be? I mean, let's imagine, for example, Jesus is like, wow, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. Whew. But, hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. So he just turns, turns some stones into bread and kind of eats. Would that have been a sin? What sin would it have been? I mean, some people say, well, he would have broken his fast. Fasting, that's an interesting spiritual discipline. I'm just curious, how many of you have ever fasted? Just so you you know, as you're raising your hand, that means that you skipped at least a meal, right, in order to be in tune with God. All right, yeah, that's what fasting means. It means you skipped a meal. Now, all of you who have fasted, raise your hand again. How many of you have broken your fast? Right. Right, all of you, right? Right. If you had not broken your fast, you would have died. <laughs> that, that's what happens when you don't eat, is that you, you die. Right? Everyone breaks a fast. In fact, the first meal of the morning, breakfast, or as I misread it when I was you know, in primary school, I called it break fast. I was not a very good reader. But that's, that's the etymology of the word. We are breaking our fast. We have fasted through the night. We've not eaten for the last eight hours or so. And so we get up to eat, and now we have breakfast. We've broken our fast. Now, imagining that we've gone the whole night without eating, except for some of us who get up in the middle of the night and get like a snack or something, and we call that early diabetes. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> you need to be able to make it through the night and not eat. That's just good for you. <laughs> All right. Preaching to myself. <laughs> so it's, it's not a sin to break a fast. It's, it's not a sin to turn a stone into a piece of bread. So, so what is the sin? So sometimes it's helpful if we have a passage of Scripture and it's talked about elsewhere. We'll go see if that makes more sense in another location. So in Luke chapter 4, we have the same story. It says, if you are the Son of God, and it's exactly the same warning. Like, look, you're the Son of God. Do this. What's interesting in Luke's telling of the story is that the word he uses for stone is singular, and so the word he uses for bread is singular. So the best translation would be, if you are the Son of God, then turn this one stone into a piece of bread, which makes it sound like Jesus is being tempted just to provide for himself, which is an interesting temptation in and of itself, right? to provide for yourself, not to rely on God, we'll say. You know, you can do it. But in Matthew it says, If you are the Son of God, since you're the Son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. Like both the word for stone and the word for bread is plural. Turn these stones into breads. Let's look at that picture again of the Judean wilderness. Now, there are a lot of stones in that picture, right? I mean, it's basically just rock on top of rock on top of rock with a little bit of dirt, but mostly it's just rock. Now, if you're standing in the Judean wilderness and it crosses your mind, what if I turned all these stones into loaves of bread? Well, with that much bread, who could I feed? Not just myself. I could feed the whole nation. And I want you to think about Jesus. Now, wouldn't you think about his own identity and his own self-awareness of who he was and who, who God the Father was calling him to be and the role that he was supposed to play with this group of people. He was to be their Messiah. He was to be their provider. He was to be the godly anointed one who would come and deliver them from oppression. Right? So, if he could turn all the stones in the country to bread not a single person in the country would be hungry. Everybody would have enough to eat. So you have to think, this temptation for Jesus is more than just a temptation. At least the way Matthew's telling the story, it's more than just a temptation to take care of himself. It's the temptation for him just to pull up himself by the bootstraps and take care of everybody, which I think he certainly wanted to do. His response, he says this, He says, um, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, that sounds nice. But if I'm hungry, I need more than just words to chew on. And what's interesting is that this passage of Scripture that Jesus is citing is out of Exodus, and it's the story of the wilderness wanderings, and when God provided manna from heaven, right? Some kind of heavenly bread that they had to eat. It's interesting. Why don't you turn these stones into loaves of bread? Well, it's written that people don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he quotes this passage about God providing bread. You see, here I think Jesus is doing a very interesting thing. He is being faithful at the very point and at the very place where his predecessors had failed to be faithful. He's in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness. He was hungry. They were hungry. They needed to rely on God, and instead, they didn't. They tried to just do it themselves. And now he needs to rely on God, and he's being tempted to do it himself, but he's resisting that temptation. Now, I know in our context, to say that we need to resist the temptation to do it ourselves is radically countercultural. We live in a culture of do-it-yourself, I mean, as much as anybody, I like to do it myself. Now, I'm not particularly good at doing things myself, but I like to, right? I like to go to Lowe's, I like to go to, to Home Depot, you know, I like to buy the new tool, I like to try to figure it out myself. Uh, I love Ace Hardware. Those old guys at Ace Hardware are amazing, <laughs> right? They've got every single thing memorized in that whole store, how do those guys do that? It's like, and it's like at every Ace Hardware. Like, where do they find people that know, you know? I, I need this. It's on aisle 14, about halfway down, three shelves. It costs 38 cents. You know, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I get it. Um, it's kind of the American way, you know? If you want it, you should work hard for it. I was taught that too. But let me tell you something about Faith. Let me tell you something about forgiveness. Let me tell you something about grace. It's not something you can work for. It's not something you can earn. I might want your forgiveness, but I can't really just work for it. I can't earn it. I certainly can't just do it myself. Like, I I want to be a better Christian. I want to live up to the standards that I see in Scripture. Most of the time, I don't. Sometimes I do. I'd like to be better at it. But it's not something I accomplish on my own. It's something that somehow God works in me and not just in me, but in us. right? I see God working in you. And I'm I'm drawn to that. There's there's this kind of beauty of holiness, this attractiveness to, to righteous living that when you see it, You can like smell it and taste it and want it. But it's nevertheless a gift of God. It's only by the word of God that we can have life. Christianity is not a do-it-yourself religion. It's just not. It's not works righteousness, we call it sometimes. And Jesus gets it. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to feed all these people this way. Which makes me think about last week's sermon just a bit. We talked about I quit complacency. If I quit complacency, it sounds like I need to stop just sitting around and take initiative. Like I need to do something. Except this week we're saying I quit self-reliance. So which one is it? Am I gonna quit being complacent and actually do something or am I gonna quit self-reliance and actually depend on somebody else and particularly depend on God? That's kind of confusing. What about that second temptation? So let's let's say that this reading is valid, that what Jesus is being tempted to do is just do it himself, and he's resisting the temptation to do it himself and goes, no, I'm going to rely on God. Then when you look at the next temptation, it says, then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, do not put the Lord God your, your Lord your God to the test. So one thing that just jumps out at me is this. In the first temptation, when Jesus was tempted, he kind of quotes Scripture as the reason why he shouldn't behave that way. Right? I shouldn't just do it myself, which I think. Can, can lead to sinful ways of doing things. I should rely on God. Well, then it says, okay, why don't you rely on God? Like, that's the next temptation. Why don't you just jump, right? Why don't you just, just completely lean in, right? Be all in. Take a leap. We said that too last week. Take a leap off the temple. Because it says in Scripture... This is interesting that, that, that the tempter is quoting scripture here. He has given his angels charge over you. Look, that's Psalm 91. I love Psalm 91. It's like one of my favorite psalms. Right? You are my hiding place. It's an old praise and worship song from the 80s. Right? That came from Psalm 91. Yeah, I love Psalm 91. What's Satan doing quoting Psalm 91... To Jesus about why he should take a leap off the temple. My friends, this should give us cause for pause. If Satan can come up with a scripture as to why Jesus should try and attempt suicide, then just because you can think of a scripture or your friend can think of a scripture or you read some meme on Facebook doesn't necessarily mean that this is what the Lord wants you to do. We can come up for scriptures for all sorts of things, right? The question is, are we rightly dividing the word of truth? See, I would say Satan was wrongly dividing the word of truth. It wasn't that he misquoted the scripture. He quoted Psalm 91 correctly, but he misappropriated it. That was not the scripture for that situation. That's, That's an important point. And then there's this, right? So on the one hand, I'm supposed to rely on God. On the other hand, I'm not supposed to not do anything. So both both lessons turn turn out to be true. I can both quit complacency so that I'm active, I take initiative, I'm a participant. And I can quit self-reliance. It's not all on me. So here's here's the challenge that we have in our culture. Everything gets presented to us as though there are only two options. You're either this or you're that. You're either for it or you're against it. But what if, what if I don't fit in either category? What if, what if I fit somewhere in between? Or what if I'm totally off your little spectrum you're trying to push me onto? You know, what if there's a way of living faithfully in the world where I both rely on God and understand that my reliance on God does not Uh, forfeit my responsibility to participate with God. And therein lies the practice of the faith, right? Living it out. And I think that's crucial. So I made my way to this point in the sermon when I was preparing, and then it struck me you know Jesus was tempted to turn those stones into bread so he could feed everybody and he resisted that temptation in the wilderness but then there's another story it's in Matthew but it's also in Mark Luke and John it's one of the few stories that actually appears in all four Gospels and it's a real funny one I mean I want you to keep in mind as we get ready to read this passage from another part of Matthew I want you to keep in mind that first temptation I, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. And Jesus is like, no way. I'm not going to do that, for it is written, uh, Thou shalt uh, live, uh, not live by bread alone. But then there's this passage from Matthew 14, and it says this. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from, from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food. And Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven, and he blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Hmm. So it's a sin to turn those stones into bread, but it's not a sin if you already have bread to somehow miraculously multiply it so that everybody can eat. I mean, what's going on? Is it a sin or is it not a sin? Or does it matter where you are? In the first place, he was in the Judean wilderness, which is a desert. In the second place, he said he was in a deserted place. Well, that sounds the same. <laughs> so what's, what's happening? Well, again, I think in the first case, Jesus is playing the role of humanity. I mean, he is the son of man, right? I love the way C.S. Lewis writes it in, in his stories of Narnia, right? The sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, right? Jesus is the human. And he's not, he's like the full human. He's like the representative of Israel, He's doing what they fail to do. He's remaining faithful to God in the wilderness. He's, he's, he's playing the role. But you see, Jesus has another role to play, right? He's not just fully human. He's fully divine. And when it came to this story, the role he's playing is not the faithful servant, but he's playing the role of the deliverer. He's playing the role of the provider. He's playing the role of God. He had them all sit down and he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he broke it and he broke it. So, so much so that there was enough for everyone. In fact, not only was there enough for everyone, but they had a lot left over. You see, the story of Jesus and the bread is not simply a story of going back in the wilderness and re-experiencing the manna because with the manna, there was just enough for everybody. Everybody had enough to eat, but there was, you could never like save some for the next day. Like The bread would spoil. It would, it would go bad. The manna would go bad. You couldn't eat day-old manna. But with Jesus, it's more than just provision for the day. There's enough for all of us, and there's enough for all of us to share with others. 12 baskets full. That's like enough a basket to share with each apostle and all their families. It's enough to maybe share with each tribe of Israel. However, that number 12 kind of jumps off to us. The promise of the kingdom is not just a promise of provision. It's the promise of abundance. I think we also hear this. We hear this as well in the story of the Lord's Prayer. We opened our service with it. And it's an interesting one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's an interesting one. Give us this day our daily bread. Again, I apologize for the... um, technical argument here it's actually a difficult passage to translate is it give me enough so I have to eat and I can survive or is it give me now the daily bread that is the the bread that we would have daily Uh, some translators will translate it give me today the bread for tomorrow give me today the bread for tomorrow what are we asking for it's 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 amazing what we're asking for, really, or what we're being taught to pray for. We're being taught to pray for the kind of bread that comes from heaven. We're being taught to pray for the kind of bread that's more than just sustaining us. We're being taught to pray for the bread that will last and last and last. It's it's an eschatological prayer. It's a prayer for tomorrow. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer for the future. It's not a prayer for the present. I mean, we want it to come in the present, but it's coming to us from the future. As I look around, it doesn't look to me like God's will is always done. I know for some of you that's going to be a difficult thing to hear but just take a close, hard look at what you see around you, right? When people go hungry, when children get molested, when wars give birth to other wars, do you really think that's what God wants? Or are we living in this time like in that third temptation when the tempter can say, hey, if you bow down and worship me, I'll go ahead and give you all of this. Well, who was he to say to Jesus, I can give you all of this? Well, according to Scripture, he's called the ruler of this age. Another passage, Jesus says, we nest apart for the ruler of this age is coming. Well, who's he talking about? Right, he's not talking about himself because he's there. Who is the ruler of this age? It's the same one who tempted Jesus like, if you worship me, I'll go ahead and give you everything you want. And he's like, no, we're going to worship God and only God are we going to worship. So the reason that things are in such a mess Is because we have somebody who's making a mess of these things. And that's not Jesus. But then here's our prayer Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which suggests that the kingdom of God and the will of God is being accomplished in heaven. So we're wanting it to come to earth, we're wanting it to be accomplished on earth. Do you see how this is a prayer for the future? A prayer for what we want to be? Look, I I want it to happen in my own life. Sometimes I don't do what I think is right. I would like for God's will just to be done in my own will. Right? I would just like for my own will to conform to the will of God. Forget about trying to save the world. I can't hardly get myself straight. But then that goes back to the first temptation, doesn't it? It's not me that's supposed to get it straight anyway. I'm supposed to rely on God. Right? It's about not self-reliance, but spiritual dependence. Dependence upon God. And so we pray, give us this day the bread for tomorrow. Give us the kind of bread that only you can give us. Give us the bread that we get when you take it and you break it. And you make enough. Enough for all of us. And you make not just enough, but you make more than enough. Because that's exactly what happened when Jesus blessed the bread and he broke it. There wasn't just enough, there was more than enough. And this is what I think comes to us when we quit self-reliance and we start dependence. It's a funny thing, dependence. Like when I think about maturity, I think about maturity of becoming ever increasingly more independent. Except spiritually, I think it might be the inverse. But the more spiritually mature you are, the more dependent you are on God. And that's what we're looking for.